started a series uh, on relationology. What are some of the critical key elements? Yeah, that was my role. What are um, what are some of the key elements? I'm glad we all own up to our bads around here, man. That was Josh's bad. That was my bad. Anyway, um, Last week, we started a series on relationology and looking at some critical components that build great relationships because relationships just don't happen. They just don't come about. We have to put effort and time into them. And it's not a struggle because on the other side, there are riches to be gained from it. And it's not just the relationships that we think of in terms of, hey, a newlywed couple and as they come together and start a marriage, that kind of thing. But it may be relationships that we deal with in our workplace. It may be relationships that happen in our neighborhoods, relationships we have in our social, recreational arenas of life. God created you and I as relational beings. And if we don't have healthy, good relationships, there's a starvation that starts to happen to us, a choking out. In fact, when you think about probably the vast majority of stress in your life. It would come from the lack of healthy relationships. Some relationship that's gone awry, some relationship that has tension points in it you don't know what to deal with, some relationships that's just old and weary, some deep part of your heart that is longing for something that you don't currently maybe have. Relationships are critical to all of us. And last week we looked at the critical aspect of the love. But what did we say last week? Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a verb. Love is, say it again, an action. Love is a choice. Love is a verb. Now, I know when I defined it that way last week, it's like, oh, you just sort of take out all the fun of the love and feelings. Do you have that song going in your head this week after I shoot the last week? Yeah, lost that love and feeling, right? But if we don't reorient our understanding to what the scriptures teach, what love is, then we will be greatly amiss and lacking. You see, when you fall in love or you have that loving feeling, there's the sense of wonder, there's the sense of infatuation, and you spend time learning and longing and get to know the person, and all the juices and energy and the joy that comes from that, and sometimes it's, it's not even just thinking about a spouse or a future spouse, it's thinking about, you know, maybe somebody you met that's sort of like you, man, you can hang out together and go do stuff together with, and there's that season of novelty, of freshness, of discovery, but then as the relationship begins to mature, you start to realize that there is no one in this world perfect, including that special person you married, right? Love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a verb. I like this quote I came across this week from C.S. Lewis. I'm going to have us look at it. He says this. He says, love as distinct from being in love is not merely a feeling it is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in Christian marriages, the grace which both partners ask and receive from God. They can have this love for each other even when they do not like each other, as you love yourself even when you do not like yourself. Something they've done. 
They can retain this love even when each would easily, if they allowed themselves, be in love with someone else. Being in love first moves them to promise fidelity. This quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. Good quote. That was written 50 years ago. But it's still true today. Why? Because human beings are still the same today as we were then. And we're created in the image of God. And when we look at the scripture, it's not only that love is an action, a choice, and a verb. It's also that love, as we looked at last week, is a noun. The Bible teaches us that God is love. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason that love is a commandment in Scripture, love one another, right, is because... In the very heart of God, it's an action. And it's an action he took towards us. And it's an action that we are then to live out in accordance one with another. Whether with our spouse, whether with our friends, whether with our co-workers, whether with our rec partners, whatever it may be, we are to love one another. Because God himself is love. And uh, where we landed last week was saying if you're having a hard time loving people, Work at getting to love God more. Because he has poured out his Holy Spirit into our hearts. The love that he's given us is found through the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So last week we looked at the element of love. Today I'm going to get myself in trouble. I want to look at another word. I want to look at the word respect. I want to look at the word respect. You discovered that men and women are different. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not talking about the physiological aspects of life. I mean, we're different. We are different because God made us different. Matthew 19:4. Jesus himself, he says, duh. <laughs> That's not there, but I think he probably had that attitude because he was the people he's talking to. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. You just stop right there. When God said, I am going to make a human being, he decided to make two versions. And the two versions are equal. The two versions are lovely in his sight. But the two versions of human beings have nuances of difference. I'll give you some examples. If you are in your household and you hear your uh, wife in the closet and she's looking around and roaming around and she says, I have nothing to wear, all right, she is most likely saying, I have nothing new to wear. If you hear from that same closet, the man go, I have nothing to wear, he's most likely saying, I have nothing that is clean. Now, if the girl told her girlfriend, I have nothing to wear, they communicate on that. If a guy says, I'm sorry about that, right? There is language and perspective in how we say things. Now, I know that's not, you know, 
some type of sexist comment there, that kind of thing. But it's just there's just nuances of how we say. Or what about this one? What about the uh, wife? Uh, meal's been prepared, that kind of thing, and um, she says, "This is the worst meal I've ever made." Uh-oh. Now that's that's a trap. <laughs> that's a trap. And um, what if the guy responds with? No, it's not, honey. Uh-oh. See, now women are thinking, well, how many bad ones have I made? Now, maybe he's just tenderhearted, and he's never had a bad meal from his wife. And he says, no, it's not. Right? There is this ability to hear, to speak, to filter in different kinds of ways. And we dial off of that one with another, and many times out of that comes Conflict. Conflict can come. And if you're going to understand the conflict that can come about in relationships, whether in a marriage relationship or other kinds of relationships, you have to dial into the differences, not only male and female, but differences one with another concerning backgrounds, personalities, experiences, uh, likes and dislikes. You have to contextualize each and every relationship to who that person is, and endear yourself to them, not only with love but respect, because of who they are. Haven't you read, Jesus said, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. He goes on here and he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Somewhere in the bosom, in the very heart of God, when he created human beings, he had this beautiful vision that we should not fall into a monotonous world where there is not only one gender, where there is not only one personality, where there is not only one set of interests, where there is not only one set of backgrounds. But there's rich diversity across the board in every way. And if you're going to have great relationships, you have to endear yourself to diversity, including, or I should say especially, in the male-female relationship. And so I want to look at that. And whether you're marrying, whether you're courting, whether you wish you had somebody to court, whether you're single again, I don't care where the spectrum's at, there's a need for us to look biblically at what God calls us to do when it comes to understanding our relationships, and especially in this relationship of male and female, husband and wife. And the reason I say that I might get in trouble today is because I'm taking on um, probably the richest passage in Scripture related to marriage that's been known and used throughout the years, but it's also become seemingly... Um, in recent decades, a controversial passage. And that's Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, if you want to turn there. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 21. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Hmm. Who would like to volunteer to teach on that passage here this morning? All right. 
Do you believe the Bible is good for you? Do you believe God's teaching is healthy for you? I don't know about you, but sometimes and I come to passages, whether it's sometimes this one or other words, and I just wrestle. I wrestle with the book, and I go, really? Is that true or is that not? But then I start to realize that I'm young. I'm still young at the age I am even in trying to understand and figure out how God has made everything. And I really need to lean in to understand that God gave us his word not to destroy our lives or to kill our joy or to make us some type of, you know, uh, restricted individuals kept away from all the beauty of the world. God gave us his word for us to find freedom and experience the fullness and enjoy all that he called us to be as human beings. And that would include this passage. But this passage, because it has this whole concept that, you know, the husband's a head of a wife and that the wife is to submit to Christ, there's a little bit, and some of you are doing it right now, a cringe factor going, oh, no, what's he going to say? Well, I'm not really saying anything. I'm just putting up the scripture for you to read. And do you think maybe, maybe... You know, and I could go back generations or you could go into other cultures today. Um, There's all kinds of um, abuse going on in relationships and in the male-female relationship and in the whole uh, marriage and family unit. You know, in some places, women are given no, no honor or rightful place in culture. And thankfully... In our country, there's been a freeing up. You can go back to the you know we're political season, right? It's hard to comprehend at one time that women didn't have a right to vote, right? But changes have been made. But sometimes I get concerned that changes have been so radically made that we've marred this whole concept that we were created male and female and that God in his vision and his design has created us not only with differences but ability to function together in a, in a holistic fashion that would bring hope and joy and richness not only to our lives but to our family and to our friends. And that maybe, maybe, just maybe in, in this culture we've sort of discarded it. And yeah, there are male chauvinists and there are people that can take a passage like this and and use it as a Bible thumping thing and and say, you know, I'm in control here and it's my way or the highway or something. You know, that uh, uh, somebody said, yeah, that's we went into the marriage and we decided that, uh, you know, I was going to make all the major decisions and my wife was going to make all the minor decisions uh, because, you know, this kind of passage. But, you know, for 20 years, uh, there's been no major decisions made in our household. And we laugh and we joke because we wrestle with this thing. But here's, this is what the Bible teaches. This is God's word to us. And he's saying something to us about not equality issues, but roles and functionality and how we are wired and made and how we need to live and interact one with another. But if we're to understand this passage in Ephesians 5, verse 21... And it's rightfully so, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And some people will teach out of this passage that it's a mutual submission. And that's true. There's a mutual submission. But, friends, there's something more here in this scripture that God's saying. Because you just can't wipe it all away with the modern flow of of, uh, the way the culture is. Because to some degree, there's um, not only a lack of love going on for women, 
there's also a disrespecting of the male and where God has placed him in our culture and in marriage and family. See, a comedian can get jokes pretty quick talking about the goofball father, father or, or the husband that's, you know, just sort of a jerk kind of guy. You can sit and watch sitcoms and other things and see it. But God called us to be male and female, and he brought us together to be one flesh in our marriage. And we better wise up. We better learn what that interactive uh, play needs to, to work its way out. But if we're going to understand it, then we got to start at the beginning of Ephesians 5. And Ephesians 5 says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now look at this. This is setting the context for the whole chapter of Ephesians 5. And our ability to interact, relate to one another, spiritual headship, submission, it's got to be taken in the context of our relationship with God and God's relationship with himself. Scriptures teach that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, what's called the Trinity. And it's not that there's three gods. You know, that's always a crack that Islam has. You guys worship three gods. We worship the one true God, all right? No, we are theists as Christians. We worship the one God. But supernaturally, beyond my understanding as a finite human being, God exists eternally with this three-personhood thing, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what happened? The Father, with compassion, he demonstrated his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Father sent his Son. And the Son did what? The Son submitted to the Father's will. And then the Holy Spirit was sent after Christ was sent to heaven. And the Holy Spirit did what? The Holy Spirit came to dwell within those who are followers of Christ. But the Holy Spirit is here for what purpose? To bring a show to himself? No. The Holy Spirit is here to give witness to Jesus Christ because it's the Spirit of Jesus himself. And to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and and truth issues. All right? To bring a rightful sense of justice and judgment, the Spirit wells up. So the Spirit is submitting and working through Christ, and Christ is submitted to the will of the Father and the Father in His love. There's something beautiful about the Trinity, and it's it's one of those things I study and I come back around and say, "Oh man, that's so great! It's so like beyond me." If you ever expected God to be somebody you could fully figure out, then you think too highly of yourself. You really do. But in this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's this communal relationship going on. And do you know what's at the heart of that? Next to the whole, just the love aspect, it's submission. Submitting one to another. Jesus said what? If this cup could pass from me, please take it. I don't want to go to the cross. But he willingly went to the cross. He submitted to the Father's will. Not my will be done. But your will be done. And so here in Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God. All of us, male, female, married, single, young, old, whatever race you are, it doesn't matter. As human beings, we are to be imitators of God as his loved children. And we're to live a life of love, not warm, fuzzy feelings, action. I command you to love one another. 
Well, just as Christ loved us. And he gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in that context, then, let's come back to the Ephesians 5.21 passage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not some hierarchy uh, type of statement that's being made. It's a statement that's exhorting you and I to treat one another in the measure that God treated us. He gave himself for us. And so we submit to one another our reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as two you would submit to the Lord. Not overbearing. Not driving him up a wall. For the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Not in some lording over her kind of manner. With the rules that God established. I mean, concerning headship, think about this. I, I don't know. I didn't do a thorough research on it. But is there any country in our world that has two heads? No, we might like to think so sometimes. We got that problem in our country maybe here or there. But no, there is one president. We don't get to vote for two in November. We vote for one. All right? You can take schools with the school headmaster. You can take your employment with a CEO, whatever it may be. There is wired this need for a leader. Okay? And so we are equal, male and female, loved by God. He sacrificed that. But when we come into the confines of how the role plays its way out in a relationship, there is something called spiritual headship. And God says... That the husbands be the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church. His body to which he is the Savior. Now the church, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit their husbands and everything. And sometimes we just stuck right there. I can't believe that's just so archaic. Really? I don't know that the Bible has an expiration date on it. Right? Now I may not fully understand that. The word submit is sort of a nasty word. Because of all the baggage that comes with it and all the abuse that's come with it. And maybe you've been at the hands of that abuse, even as a woman here this morning, and what's happened in your home. And I deeply, <laughs> deeply feel for you in that. And I'm sorry, because that's not how you were to be treated. It's not how you were to be treated. And in some situations, in Scripture, we're not going to go in that today, there's been release from that abusive situation. But the word submit, maybe it's more just humbly subject and and challenge your husband to go to go with what God is leading you to do and for you to inspire them and encourage them i mean you sit down with a man and you say honey our family has big decisions and i'm challenging you <laughs> as a loving supporting and uh, even submissive wife that i want to follow your spiritual headship of what God's calling and leading you to do together. And if he's any, got any brains to him at all, he's not going to go some direction you violently disagree with or that kind of thing. He's going to sit back and go, oh, oh, God, I haven't heard from God for a long time. <laughs> better, better, better seek God. Because as that relationship unfolds, there's tremendous beauty that comes about it with this headship 
And I think a lot of the brokenness, and I just want you to know, I've been in ministry, what, now 30-some years, I guess, but um, our culture is not getting any better. Do you witness it getting better? There's more and more brokenness in families and homes and in relationships. And it's like, wow, can't we get this figured out? And it's not just this simple idea of, oh, there has to be headship in a home, but there has to be appropriate leadership and appropriate loving and appropriate mutual submitting to one another kind of thing going on. And you're like, we really got to go back to Scripture and say, how did God make us? And he made us to play out this relationship in our marriages in a manner that's reflecting and honoring of his relationship in the community of the Godhead. So wives, submit to their husbands and everything. But now, guys, doggone it, the next verse comes. 25. Verse 25, Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Bring back that love and feeling. I'm not, not what that's talking about. You're not going back to that love and feeling. So, oh, man, I don't know her. Look how attractive she is. Oh, she's so cute. And my goodness, she's, she sort of likes me, maybe. And she's like, I think we could have fun together. We did have fun together. Let's go do it again. This is a deeper, deeper kind of love for one another. And Jesus died. For his bride. Physically died. So that says to me, Carrie, will you physically die for your wife? I said, yeah, man, I'd take the bullet. I'll stand in front of her way. Okay. I had somebody tell me once, you know, sometimes it's easier um, to die for Jesus than to live for Jesus. Because I thought, could I ever be a martyr? Like, oh, man, I don't know if I could. Maybe the same is true with marriage. Maybe it's not so much the dying physically, but maybe you need to die to yourself. Maybe die to your own um, egocentric agenda. Maybe die to some of your uh, um, schedule so that you're able to give your life away to your wife. Maybe... In your dating relationships, things have really never gone wrong because you go into the dating relationship looking for a soulmate. And you know, do you know? <laughs> I, I should have brought in the phrases, but I didn't this morning. Do you know how the majority of the world describes a soulmate? Is somebody who accepts me for just who I am. Now, if I'm looking for a soulmate. I'm sorry, but it looks a little self-centered just to say, I just want you to accept me for who I am because this is what I am. It's what you get. Yeah. Maybe you're challenged in your dating relationships because you've not started to practice what Jesus did for his church. And your whole life, to some degree in marriage, I think, is the point of discipleship. It's not an overbearing, oh, my gosh, i got to do this. Jesus is making you like himself. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. 
and live a life of love just as Christ loved the church and offered himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So I come into this as a male, as a husband, and say, I want to die for my wife as Christ died for the church. So at every turn, and it's not easy, you know this. Women as well, as you seek to mutually love your husbands, to give up your own agenda, to lay your life down. But you know what? Something incredibly beautiful happens with this. There's not an eternal death in your relationship. It's the beginning of a resurrection. Beautiful life comes from laying down your life for others. And so in this passage, it's heavy. And I really do use this passage pretty much most weddings ceremonies I do because it just brings us back to recalibrate that how I love my wife, how a wife is to love and submit to her husband is modeled in the very essence of who God is and the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so I participate and I reflect the beauty and the glory of God to the world by how I live my life out in my marriage. Yeah, I wish sometimes that it was more of an easy street. I wish sometimes, you know, you guys know that my wife and I just came off our 25th anniversary a week ago and we took a nice cruise to down here to the Mexican Riviera. I wish every week could be a cruise. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Some weeks you get up and you realize that your wife's in pain. Some weeks go by and a tragedy strikes or some bills come and there's challenges and there's words. And you have to, in the confines of that, that relationship, choose to either honor God and imitate God or choose to say, well, just take me or leave me. Who I am. No. He goes on to say this um, in verse 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You almost want to grab the Apostle Paul here and say, hey, come on, get in the game. We're talking about Christ and the church. You're talking about the marriage. He says, no, on this earth, our marriage relationship is to model God's relationship with his church. And the church isn't a physical building. The church is a body of people, individuals, a called out assembly who choose to be followers of Jesus. All right. A Christian is a Christ follower. The Christ followers together are the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is loved by Jesus. And the bride of Christ submits to the leadership of Jesus. Now we could stop there with verse 32. One of the key verses I just want us to hit pretty hard here is this next verse. Verse 33, Ephesians 5. However, Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Some of these thoughts come from a book that maybe some of you might be familiar with. Any of you are familiar with the book called Love and Respect? Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson uh, Egrich is is probably uh, what I've discovered to be one of the better books to offer somebody who's having some marital problems. Even somebody looking, getting married. Any of you read it? 
What he does in this book is he takes this verse and like he just spends a lot of time on it. He actually runs seminars on it, him and his wife, and even his daughter now some um, interact with it. But he takes Ephesians 5.33. Not only are you to love your wife as he loves himself, but the wife must respect her husband. And what he says, he articulates and believes, is that this verse, though we would readily say, yes, you must love your wife, men, he would also say, women, you must respect your husband. But we've got a challenge here with the word respect, sort of like with the word submit. Because respect, we often think, needs to be earned. Well, he's not earned my respect, right? You've got to earn respect. But the Bible here, again, is the Bible good for us or not? Men, love your wife. Just as you love your own body, you love your wife. Model Christ. Give up your life. But women, you must respect your husband. I don't respect him. Now I want to go back to how we're wired and we're created different. All right? If you're in a point of tension, let's say that whole thing about, you know, you know this is the worst meal I've ever made. No, it's not, honey. Maybe that moves from there to a little bit of conflict. Like, what do you mean? No, it's not. No, it's not, honey. It's not the worst. How many bad was it made? And all of a sudden it starts to spiral. If you get into conflict with your spouse, how do you receive what's happening in that conflict? Do you receive it as if your partner is not loving you or your partner is not respecting you? Done surveys on this. We can maybe do a hand survey here today. I won't embarrass you. I don't know. (laughs) Surveys done. Scientific surveys. Asking both men and women. If you're in the heat of conflict... How do you feel? Do you feel the other person is not loving you or the other person is not respecting you? 70% of women say, I'm not feeling loved in that moment. 80 plus percent of men are saying, I'm not feeling respected in that moment. Another question was asked one time, you know, if uh, you had to choose between being Alone and unloved, or looked down upon and disregarded, which would you prefer to have? Women, vast majority. I don't want to feel alone and unloved. But the male, I don't want to experience being disgraced and looked down upon and unrespected. There's something in how we're wired, male and female. And so we interpret things different. And so he's coming back, um, the author of this work, and saying, you know, could it be? Could it be that this simple verse here that we just sort of look at, of course, yeah, 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 is not just a command for men to love their wives and lay there in their life, but a command to women to respect their husbands. And he says what happens is if love and respect don't function well, in your relationship, 
in your marriage, it starts to spiral out of control pretty quick. That's why he puts this circle, love and respect, and, and he talks about the crazy cycle. And the crazy cycle is this. Without love, she reacts. She reacts without respect. And without respect, he reacts without love. And so it goes around and around. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. Without love, he reacts, she reacts without respect. And so it goes around and around. And you may not notice what's happening. I like this analogy. You ever had somebody, like, turn a light switch on and off? And you're thinking to yourself, what do they do that for? And they do it again, on and off. Like, don't do that anymore. And then all of a sudden, maybe it's one of your kids, right? And they go, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And after a while, you do what? Stop that! Quit doing that! Well, maybe this, this love and respect crazy cycle is sort of like that. You know? He's dissing on you, and you're dissing on him. No love, no respect, no love, no respect, no love, no respect. And, and, and you can't solve it. And, friends, this, this is honest. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's happened in your life. I'm sorry if it has. Maybe it's happened in a friend's life. Some people get divorced for sometimes the silliest of reasons underneath it all. Now, they may have exploded to something big. Stop that! But underneath, there was something very simple. The wife did not feel that she was being loved by her husband, by his actions. And the husband did not feel that his wife was respecting him because of some of the things she was just saying. Have you ever been in an environment where somebody does something that you you cringe? uh, In a family environment where you're like, I can't believe they just said that to one another here in public. Right? And you go, I wonder what's under the surface there. Ooh. Right? You gotta catch that stuff. You gotta be mindful of what's going on and happening with all of that. You see, if we're going to truly live our lives as God created us as a male and female, then we need to understand differences. And friends, this is not to say that sometimes women are not disrespected by men. They are, or that Men do not feel that they're not being loved. But it's how we process things internally. It, it just is. How we're wired in leadership and those kinds of things or in the roles and the giftings that God's given us and he gives freely to all. There's no bias according to gender. I understand that. But how we take it, what we see, the lens that we see it through. Sometimes, oh, what did you mean? No, it's not, honey. Right? We hear it. And we interpret it, and we think maybe in terms of something different than uh, what it's really being spoken. You know, the knowledge of a guy that always forgot his uh, his wife's anniversary. That's not a good thing, is it, man? And um, so, tenth anniversary comes around, and she's hoping that uh, he remembers. He does. He does remember on his way home, and so he goes and he stops by the drugstore. And he goes into the Hallmark card section. And, man, there's one card that just pops out at him, the colors, how it looks. He starts reads the front of it. Oh, it looks good. Oh, those are good work. This is great. He buys it. He takes it home. He walks in the house. She's around, so he sort of sneaks it off. And, and he quickly opens it up, and he signs his name to it and, and goes out. And, here's it. and she just melts. Finally, he remembered. He remembered. 
our anniversary. And, and she opens the card and she begins to read it. And, you know, just joy and radiance on her face. And then she opens it up. And all of a sudden her face drops and she has this scowl. And he goes, what's, what's the matter? Nothing. <laughs> no, 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 what's the matter? No, nothing. It's, thanks, nothing. No, I mean, what's the matter? She goes, well, it's all right for a birthday card. <laughs> In that moment, the woman's processing what? I'm not love. And she could say, you know, you detail your car, and if the detail's off by just a little bit, you would notice that, but you wouldn't take the time to open the card to see that this is a birthday card and not an anniversary card. You don't love me. He's going, I can't give me a break here. I, I, I did good. I did good, man. I got there. I got it. I remembered. I usually forget. Come on. Come on. And so then he starts to get angry himself, and he's thinking, what? You're disrespecting me, right? And so the crazy cycle starts to happen. And that may be a little bit of a corny kind of example or even the others I gave. But, friends, we've got to understand that small things blossom into bigger things. But we've got to look below those things and realize what's happening. Friends, you can respect somebody, and whether this is a male-female relationship or maybe you're having a hard time respecting your boss, You can respect somebody and still know that what they're doing is wrong. You have to climb into the heart of God to have a respect and a love for one another because each of us are made in the image of God. I reminded this, you remember when they tried to trip Jesus up and they said to Jesus, they said, you know, hey, should we pay taxes? You know, that was a good one, pay taxes. What do you think about that one, Jesus? And Jesus said, he says, well, give me a coin. He gets the coin and he says, now, well, whose picture's on the coin? And they say, what? Caesar's picture's on the coin. And he says, what? so the image on the coins, the image of Caesar, yes. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. And I like it because the Pharisees, <laughs> the leaders like, it says, and they were amazed. I just love answers that like put people in their place, right? It's like, you know, ultimate reality. Here it is, what it is, right? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But the reality is that the, the individual could have asked, could have gone uh, to another place. And Jesus, because of us being created in the image of God, what's called the Imago Day, he could have said, and whose image is on your life? God's image is. We are made in his image. And Jesus would say, and give to God what is God's. Your ability to respect others means you have to climb into the heart of how God has created each and every one of us. And I don't care how sinful someone is, how obnoxious they are, how violent of a criminal they may have been. If you can look at a person and realize God's made them in his image, they're all banged up and sinful and they need the redemption of Jesus to change their life. But God can begin to endear your heart to even the worst kind of people because human beings are special. On um, Friday night, there was a couple husky dogs loose on the 215 and the police officers were car uh, to come and get these dogs because cars were dodging them or whatever. And uh, one car didn't quite dodge it and hit and killed both of the huskies. 
very sad, but the car could have easily flipped. The car, uh, it's a small car, um, and it could have been a very bad accident. The person even could have gotten killed on it. I got called into this situation because the person who hit the dogs happened to be my son coming home from college at midnight. Oh, so your mind goes in a lot of different places. So me and my other son who was back, we went and we, we drove up the 215, had to turn around Newport Road to come back. And, and he kept saying, he says, you'll see the lights, you'll see the lights. And we're like, well, I'll see the lights, and I'll see the lights. He said, because the police officers who had been called, they light, arrived like right away. You know, it's like, you know what, you know, how did that happen? Well, we heard there were dogs loose, you know. And the police officer said, you, there was nothing you could have done. This is not your fault. Don't feel bad about it. And uh, I realized that we didn't see a lot of the red flashing lights, and we turned around, and sure enough, we came back, and there were the yellow lights, and the police officer uh, were there, and I saw one dog alongside the road, and I guess the other was out in the ditch, and uh, come to console my son and encourage him and, and tell him it's all right, don't worry about the car, you're alive, you're good, all those kinds of things, and yeah, it's too bad about dogs, that kind of thing. But why is it? that in that particular moment, there weren't all kinds of first responders with red flashing lights and other kinds of vehicles around. Because the body that was lying on the road was the body of a loved animal who had gotten loose, sadly, but it was not a human being. If it was a human being, all kinds of attention would be given to it. In fact, on our way to the cruise boat the other day, I, I looked, and I shouldn't have probably looked, but there was a motorcyclist who got hit, and the EMT was there. And, laying, and you're going, oh, my gosh, that would be a different story. Why? Because as human beings, we are of high value and worth, seen in the image of God. And if you can't respect anybody for anything they've done, see the essence of who God created them to be and respect them for that. And stop with any kind of side comments, whether it's your boss or a spouse or whatever, and learn that love is an action. But respect, equally so, is something that's an action. It's something that is gifted. And if you gift that to a person, you might be pleasantly surprised what starts to happen to them in their life. Women, if you took the initiative and said, hey, uh, honey, I slowed down and I just spent time thinking about all the ways I respect you and all the things I admire about you in your life. Um, and I, I just want to thank you. And you walk off. Guess who's going to follow you into the next room? <laughs> well, what, what were you thinking about? Why? Because it calls the guy out. It's how we're wired to made as, 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 as God's made us. And we need, maybe call us weaklings, I don't know, we need to be respected. And women, we know you need to be loved. And so right here in that simple verse, men, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Get off the crazy cycle. And if you pick up the book and, and, and you read this particular area, he goes on to mention two other cycles. And, and the first cycle is the cycle of the energizing cycle. The energizing cycle is his love will motivate her respect. And her respect will motivate his love. His love will motivate her respect. Her respect will motivate his love. See where that one goes. Practical ways of doing it. We won't get into those today, but there's tons of practical ways to do it. You even move to a third cycle, and I think this is really a mature cycle. 
This cycle is reflected in the very heart of God. It's the rewarded cycle. His love, regardless of whether she gives her respect. And her respect, regardless of whether he gives his love. Any of you know relationships where this is true? Some of the most godly people I know have lived in the rewarded cycle. And the rewarded cycle may not be on this side of heaven because ultimately our ability to love and respect our spouses isn't even for the good of one another. It's for the glory and the honor of God. And I have seen women who have chosen to respect their husbands in light of all kinds of dysfunction. And it's not easy. And I understand sometimes, and I'm not saying that someone should be trounced on, and sometimes, you know, I understand separation or even uh, with abuse issues or uh, adultery issues Scripture talks about in the whole area of divorce. I understand that. But I tell you what, our default lever shouldn't be looking for the escape route. Our default lever should be towards the rewarded cycle where a spouse is choosing in spite of. Or men, some of the godliest men I know have been in a relationship sometimes where they're not shown a lot of respect, but they choose over and over and over again, day in and day out, to love their wife. God sees it. I want to pray for marriages, but before I do that, I want you to watch this video. Joe mentioned it a little bit in worship. Life moves on. One season to another, and not only in a calendar year, but in our lives, in our relationships. I want us to pray for marriages after we watch just the simple video that talks about what true love is. Just as sure as last week, Dr. Stumbo's video pulled apart the 1 Corinthians 13 passage to say, this is what love looks like. So also with this one, and then we'll pray. Love is patient.
love doesn't boast. Not much. But it's ours. Welcome home. Love isn't proud. I'm sorry. There's no heartbeat. Love protects. Have to go. Have a nice quiet day at work, hon. Love doesn't envy. Love isn't self-seeking. Love always trusts and always hopes. Our God, we thank you for the beauty that you've created in relationships. And Lord, in these moments, before we have a closing song about who you are and your goodness, we just want to acknowledge that uh, you have been good to us. Lord, as it relates to marriages, whether we're in a marriage that's been long-term or maybe we're in a place of challenge in our marriage that's young. Lord, maybe we find ourselves in the single place of life again. Or maybe we're just anxiously looking for someone that you might bring across our path today for the first time. I pray, God, that you would teach us the richness of what it means to love one another, to respect one another, and that we would have richness in our marriages that would bring honor to you. Lord, may we grow up in all the fullness that you've called us to as human beings. 
knowing that you created us male and female, that you have demonstrated your love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners and uh, not worth anything in your eyes other than the image that you created within us, that you chose to love us. I pray, God, that our relationships, our marriages would model that. So, Lord, if there's any marriage here today that's on the precipice of a deep challenge and for whatever those reasons, those challenges are there, whether it touched upon that which we spoke of today or not, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that there would be power and transformation in individuals and in those marriage units and in the families as a result of some renewed work of your Holy Spirit today. So, Lord, bless them and strengthen them and encourage them. And, Lord, may we be able to find you in the midst of all situations of life because Lord we know that great relationships come about through us modeling that kind of love that's spoken of in 1 Corinthians 13 it's an action because you first loved us in your name we pray